You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Feud Podcast. I'm Keely Yor here with Shotgun Spratling. Shotgun, how are you doing today? I am stupendous. Stupendous? Stupendous. That's great. Um, we're coming off. USC's loss to Washington State on the road, 30-27. to Shotgun, you weren't there. Womp, womp, I know. Womp. You weren't there. I missed you. You were my sideline buddy that wasn't there. I was just telling him before we started recording that I almost was texting him asking for, like, updates. And I was like, oh, wait, he's not there. So it was weird. It was weird. I can't be everywhere at once. You try to be. You did send me some text about how close the field was, the stands, and yeah. how you didn't have much room to, <laughs> I did to not. move around on the field and I stuff. definitely did not. Well, it sounds fun. I, I told you, I thought this, you know, we talked previously about how uh, the Sam Darnold passed uh, Deontay Burnett against, uh, was that Texas? Uh, this seemed like it was coming right to you, basically, because he threw it straight towards you, and Deontay kind of came out of nowhere. I said, well, he could actually throw you one this time. Yeah. You can, you can catch it. There's there's times when I'm like, maybe I'll get run over during this game. That was one of those games that I was like, I'm going to get, like, just, like, nailed. <laughs> and the end zone, it looked like, from the picture you sent me, and you guys can look up, and the end zone is kind of, basically the, the dotted white line around the back where the media is supposed to stay out of. There's about, what, two feet space? It was a foot. It was, that's, a foot is being generous. Yeah, so small. super tight there. So the thing there is you can't go back. You know, usually when players come at you, you can kind of back out of the way on a sideline or something. There's really you got to dodge somebody if yeah. that's the case. I was also scared that I was going to be like a Steve Bartlett, you know, the Cubs game where I was going to somehow like mess up a, like a touchdown or a catch because I was too close to the end zone. <laughs> I don't know. I was just scared that I was going to mess something up, but luckily that didn't happen. Don't don't pull a Bartman. You yeah. have a whole fan base mad at you. Yeah. Oh wait, you did. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, I definitely did. Wazoo was not happy with me, but we can get into that. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, let's start off with stock up. Who you got? Stock up. Is, is there such thing after a loss? I think sure so. there is. Sure there is. Of course. Uh, Liam Jimmins, I thought, you know, got in there. You know, he played 15 snaps. You know, which wasn't garbage time. He was part of the rotation. I thought he played all right. He didn't do anything special in the game, but just the fact that he was getting those extra reps shows that the coaches after that Cal game, you know, I, I noted him last week as you know playing well in the Cal game, uh, that they noticed that and said, hey, you know what, you're going to get some extra opportunities. He was in there before guys like Kenny Bigelow. Which is interesting. I noticed that in your participation chart notes. Is that weird that he's just, Kenny Bigelow is just not getting time? You know, I think – Unfortunately, I think he's got to the point where they have kind of moved on past him. Like, you know, what can he contribute this this year versus can we get those younger guys, you know, experience and, and hopefully they'll be better for it in the coming years. Can he still on, you know, the, the kick block units and stuff? You know, he's still getting an opportunity to participate some. Um, and, you know, we may see him this week because there's been so many bang-ups on the defensive line that, you know, he's practiced some with the first team. Um Brandon Peely's even practiced some of the first team who yeah. hasn't played yet. Who may redshirt? Still a question mark on him. Uh, so we may see some different uh, looks on the defense line this week. Interesting. I have an obvious one for stock up. Tyler Vaughn. <gasps> what? What? Six catches for 89 yards. He had that fourth down play where he just came out of nowhere, high pointing the ball, got that pass, and then set up the touchdown in the next play. Uh, I think so. Or was it yeah. Jody? No, yeah, he got yeah, the yeah. Next and. Uh, I, The good thing for him is that after the game, we talked to T. Martin. He said, even if Stephen Mitchell comes back, Jalen Green comes back healthy, Tyler Bronze is still going to be a starter. Yeah, he's earned his his way, and you know he had a big game up there. 
Uh, the catch, he just still can't get in the end zone, though. <laughs> the, the catch on the on the, on the the flag route, you know, he catches it, he stretches out just shy. Second time so far this season he's been just shy. So really looking for him. I'm looking forward to him getting that first touchdown catch because, you know, that first one is always really special. Um, but he had a rig, real big game. I thought Joseph Lewis also, uh, yeah. you know, I had both of them on my list. I so figured I. you would say one of them. I uh, have both, so yeah. <laughs> so I, I thought Joseph Lewis, you know, stepped up with, with some guys down and, and made some catches and some third down catches for them. Um, so I think you'll see those two guys are only going to in, increasing their playing time. You're only going to see them getting better and better as the season progresses. And I think both of them have a chance to be really good. Yeah, this is Tyler Vaughn's game's game to really prove himself as a re- reliable receiver. You know, he... he didn't really have an opportunity to, and because of the injury, injuries, he was forced to really be in the spotlight, and he proved that he can handle it. Yeah, the Cal game, he got opportunities, and he made catches. You know, it wasn't necessarily the big-time uh, catch like the 4th and 13, because it wasn't, you know, there wasn't that opportunity in that game, but I thought he had a really good game. I got stock up. I got Washington State. So do I. Uh, you know, I thought Mike Leach, uh, you know, Mike Leach is such a fun character to begin with, but I thought the team played really well. That, that defense line is very undersized. And yet they make a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage. They they do what they do well, you know. And a lot of people are talking about, well, USC didn't recruit any of these guys. Well, well, they don't fit into USC's scheme. USC wants a 300-pounder at the nose tackle. USC wants a 6'4 guy that's 260 pounds on the edge. That no, the the guy that's 260 pounds is their nose tackle. I mean, Hercules Mataafa, I don't know how much he weighs. He's not that much. And he's the guy that's in the middle of their line and just causing so much uh, disruption there. And, you know, I give a lot of credit. I really liked his game. It was the first time I really got to watch him play. Really impressed with him. And I thought their offense, you know, they, they were able to, every time USC made a move, they countered it. And it was really fun to watch that matchup. You're taking uh, my point. Because my point was Mike Leach as an offensive mind. Because go for it. after the game, both Cam Smith and Chris Hawkins were saying every time they made an adjustment on defense, they countered. And it was this back and forth, almost a chess match, which was really interesting to see unfold. But they were saying, out of all the games they played so far, Michael Leach was on it. When they when they had an adjustment, they countered back. And you really saw that throughout the game. I know your participation charts noted it, and you know this better off the top of your head. Give us that l- little portion, that drive that happened. Oh, I mean, you're still in my, my, uh, from my keep it. Uh, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I was going to use in keep it later is the Mike Leach versus Clancy Pendergast uh, matchup. You know, I would love to see it again in the Pac-12 championship. You know, it's just a fun, you know, if you like football, it's really fun to watch them back and forth. Uh, and one of the things I, I said keep it was the experimentation with substitution by Clancy Pendergast. And, you know, it didn't work out on this drive. Washington State was able to score a touchdown, but they tried some different things. They used Levi Jones off the edge. They used Oluwale Batiku just subbing in on his own off the edge. Uh, they, they tried to put Matt Lopes in. You know, the Washington State had been able to throw to the flats against John Houston three straight plays. So Clancy Pendergast said, you know what, I'm throw Matt Lopes in there. He's a bigger safety. We'll put him in the linebacker position. You know, he can cover that flat a little bit better than maybe than John Houston. Uh, so we'll try that. And when he did, Mike Leach apparently saw it, or Luke Falk, one of the two, those two combined worked really well together. Yeah. But one of them saw it, and they decided to call run right at Matt Lopes. And they pick up a, you know, a nice gain on it. You know what? They do it again because Matt Lopes is still in the game. You know, it was really fun to see that back and forth. And, and uh, you know, Clancy had to then change out and go to his nickel defense. Then he went to his dime. They used the dime on the two-yard line. <laughs> uh, you know, granted, it, the time was running down. And part of the reason why he probably threw Matt Lopes in there is because it's a two-minute drill. The time's winding out. They're probably going to throw it instead. You know, they're able to pick up first down, so they stop the clock. 
So they were able to, to run the ball those couple of times. But then down at the goal line, you know, they expecting kind of a, a throw. So they put the dime defense in there. They get a stop for one yard. Then they go to the – they were going to use their dime. There was a timeout called, so they went to nickel uh, for the last, you know, the last play of the drive uh, where they were able to – get the counteraction, and Jamal Morrow, I think it was, gets in for the touchdown when Uchenna Nwosu goes a little bit too far inside. You know, it's fun just watching those back-and-forth matchups for me. I really like, uh, you know, seeing the coordinators and how they change the game plan as it goes. And that, that drive in particular was really interesting. Mm-hmm. You got anybody else? I got snap counts or stock up because they <laughs> were way up. The, yeah. the snap counts themselves were way up. Uh, eight of USC's 11 defensive starters set new career highs. Uh, for what I have going back for three years, uh, you know, there's a ton of snaps played. Jack Jones played 99 snaps total, which is the most by a skill player uh, in two and a half years that I've been, you know, charting every play. Wow. Um, you know, there were, I think, three guys who were, that had 93 snaps as well, including Christian Rector, I believe. Uh, so that's just, for a defense lineman, that's a ton of plays. And you could see that count having an effect towards the fourth quarter and the end. They yeah, were just and, gassed. And, you know, you, you saw them sub some, but they didn't with certain positions. Marvell Tell doesn't never subs out. Uh, Christian Rector subbed out a little bit, but the fact that he racked up 93 plays, you know, he plays a lot of special teams too. I would have taken him off the special teams just because how much. And granted, some of the special teams are, hey, he's the the blocker on the the punt, uh, so he, he does end up having to run down the field. That's just those extra runs that I don't think are necessary. Yeah, get an offensive lineman or somebody in there. Uh, get some, get one of the backups. But the problem is they've been losing so many of the backups that they had to play. I mean, Uchino Nuosu had to play on the, the punt coverage unit because they lost Jordan Isefa before the game to a concussion. Really weird. Uh, but yeah, running into Jalen Green, those two guys. So, you know, I thought the stock up are, are the, the snap counts because of so many guys setting new career highs. Yeah. I had stock up for Steven Mitchell and Jalen Green. Now, hear me out. I'm listening. Um, you already had Tyler Vons and Joseph Lewis, so basically the whole receiving core <laughs> is stock up. No, no, hold on. Hear me out. Hear me out. Better be good. <laughs> Stop putting pressure on me. So I just think because for all the hate they kind of got for, why are you not putting in the younger guys? We kind of saw the younger guys, and I know I just said that they did well, but like Josh Imitor Bebe didn't have the greatest game. Um, I just think that first career catch. I know. But having veteran guys out there made a difference. You can tell that was a game where you could really tell the difference of having Steven Mitchell there and not. Steven Mitchell hasn't played for two games and he still is second in receiving yards for wide receivers, which shows how big of an impact he had leading up to the game or to Steven his injury. Mitchell hasn't played in 40% of the games now. Really? At like of his career? No, of oh, this, of this season. I was like, you gotta, you gotta word it right. Come a, on, this two games stat. doesn't sound like that much, but we okay. only played five. Okay, I'll, I'll phrase it that way. And then uh, Jalen Green as a blocker, not necessarily as a receiver, but I don't think Michael Pittman really did a great job of blocking in this game. Um, and I think you that's where you saw Jalen Green. You kind of missed him there. Um, but I also have Jalen Green and, and Jordan Ice have all my stock down. So there's a bit of duality to this. <laughs> Uh, the biggest block of the day probably was uh, Tyler Vaughn's on Rod- Ronald Jones' long, what, 86-yard run. He not only pulls the corner inside, but then he also takes out the safety, takes out two second-level or third-level defenders. So that's a huge block, and that gave you know the corner to Ronald Jones, and nobody's catching it once he gets outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more stock up. I got Austin Jackson. You know, I thought he played pretty well. I went through and watched all his plays for a story uh, last night. And, you know, he looked really good. Um, he, first two plays, he whiffed on his blocks. And, you know, little jitters, definitely. You could tell that he was trying to do a little bit too much. Uh, but then after that, the rest of the game, he had one block that he missed, and it didn't affect the play. 
Um, so I thought he played pretty well for first time getting thrown in there as a yeah, and he left tackle. He had that was his first career snaps at all for USC. On offense, right? no, on, on off- offense. Yes, on offense. He played some special yes, teams. Yes, yes. Um, which is hard. That's a hard thing to do. You're on the road. It's a tough environment, and all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, go in there and play now." That's yeah. that's hard. So he was already going to rotate in some with with Clayton Johnson after the news broke by Keeley that Toa Lomadon would not be participating in the game. Uh, that was not traveling with the team. So. Because of that, they knew they were going to rotate already. But then, when you lose uh, Chuma Doga and you lose Viani Talamai Vahal, it's not coming out for whatever reason. <laughs> I think Helton also has been saying it wrong this week. It's interesting. Well, he doesn't May- have to say it much anymore, unfortunately. Oh, poor, poor Viani. Uh, know. You know, season and potentially his USC career probably is over. Can I just have a little shout out to Viani? He, out of all the three offensive linemen that came in. Uh, Damian and Toa and Vianney. Vianney was kind of the one that flew under the radar, but he was reliable for USC. He also was kind of more of the quieter ones. But Did he fly under the radar, really? I mean, he was an Alabama he, commit. The USC kind of flipped. It, once he was at USC, I think that was partially just because it's kind of like a PR thing. He didn't talk a lot. You know I what love I'm saying? talking to all three of those guys. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, they're, they're all not, three of them were great. Um, and the, the best my point Vian- was that he was hilarious and that people, we didn't really talk to him as much because he's kind of more shy. But when you actually got to talk to him without cameras, he was funny and a good speaker. That's your fault for not talking to him more. It's great. Always talk to offense linemen. Give him a chance. Uh, but my, my favorite Vianney story is after the Holiday Bowl, when they lost to Wisconsin, uh, you know, the next game they have up is Alabama in the season opener. So after that Holiday Bowl game, you know, I was just like, you know, what do you think about, you know, having this offseason? And I was like, you know, is it different for you having been committed there? And he's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was committed there. He, he kind of just completely forgot about, you know, that, that he had been committed to Alabama and, you know, could have been winning national championships. Instead, he went through three head coaches. Whoops. No, but yeah, my favorite was when he was describing the goals for the O-line. He's like, we just want Sam to just chill out there, eat a sandwich, have some time back there. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Also, whenever I would interview him, Toa would come out of nowhere and just, like, tackle him and just do things in the background. I have a great picture of Vianney just looking very pissed while, like, Toa is, like, caressing him so i'm gonna tweet that out and both those guys uh you know really good friends with each other they yeah. the um, Oos crew is that how you say it? yeah the Oos crew uh they spent this summer working together doing an internship um uh, for a real estate company so they got to spend all summer together every day working together and they were really you know excited about that opportunity so it's just it's unfortunate when you see a guy that, that you've covered for several years yeah. get injured and is like we said his usc career is likely over he's in my stock down uh unfortunately just because of his career potentially being over. Yeah. And you, you hate that because you don't know. I feel like guys should be mentally prepared if that's going to be your last game in yeah, college. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you know? One thing happens, and, and there was a we, we weren't sure there was a possibility that maybe there was going to be surgery or a possibility of there being rehab, but the family talked about it and decided apparently that, that surgery would be the best route. Uh, hopefully he's able to heal up in time and get ready for things like the Senior Bowl or – you know, one of those type of events and possibly get an invite to the combine as well. Yes. Stock down. Who you got? I got strength and conditioning slash athletic training. I mean, just a slew of injuries. How many of those preventable? I don't really know. That's hard to tell. But if you're going to put a culprit on the injuries, then it's got to be the strength and conditioning and the athletic training uh, combined because USC just had way too many injuries. Uh, Hopefully something can be done to heal some of those. I mean, the good thing is they haven't had too many that have been season-ending. Uh, I guess that's the positive news out of it. Uh, but, you know, with Vianney, that's another one going down. 
Um, so hopefully USC can get healthy soon just because you want to see a team at, at its full capacity and then you can uh, whine and complain about how bad they're playing if they're not playing well. Whereas right now, you know, they're pretty banged up and it gives some people an excuse. I think it's a, a, a viable excuse to an extent. It's a factor. It's definitely a factor. Yes. It's not the, the main, it's not like the ultimate reason, but it's definitely a factor. Yeah. When you lose three offensive linemen, you're not going to be very good on offense. Yes. It's, I'm d- and you're playing freshman. And you're playing freshman, yes. You go in, and USC did some things to kind of uh, to kind of coddle the left tackle position to an extent, you know, rolling out to the right and, you know, not running as much to the left side. So I don't know. If, I think that was probably in the game plan to begin with since Toa wasn't there. But then, you know, after the couple of injuries, you know, that really put an emphasis on the right side with Andrew Voorhees playing guard and Clayton Johnson moving over to right tackle. You know, it's very tough when you lose three of five. That's 60% of your offense line goes down in yeah. a week. You know, it's not like not okay, even a week. Two of those was in like a thirty-minute span. <laughs> true, but in the same week, you know, it's not like you had a couple weeks where this guy can get you know yeah. get used to being in there and getting comfortable beside these other guys. You know, now you, get, you lose them all at the same time, basically, and you're like, all right, okay, the second team. It's basically your second team going in with you know a, a couple of veterans mixed in, and it's going to be you know when they're playing for their first real opportunity. I mean, Voorhees is the only one he got an opportunity to play in the Texas game. Uh, besides that, the other two guys really hadn't played at all. Uh, they had, I think they had combined 70 total snaps coming into the game, whereas the three guys that were out had something like 3,000 in the last two and a half years. I put this note down because I thought it was interesting. 3,300 is what you said. Yeah, over 3,300 3, snaps, and that's just the last two and a half years because uh, that's as far back as I've been doing the snap, count, uh, snap counts, and Toa and Vianney actually played a little bit before that, so you know they would, you know, have had some more, so it's probably around four thousand snaps compared to seventy. Yeah, so that's seventy. That's why I had offensive line on my stock down. Also because you can see the effect it has. Darnold kind of got jumpy, especially towards the end. Yep. Um, he kind of had the Cody Kessler effect where he kind of bailed a little bit when he didn't need to, but I he looks a little banged up too. So I feel like if you're hurt and you're getting hit a lot, you don't want you get like you're anticipating that too much, you know. So I feel like that's also a duality to the stock down yeah I think that's uh, definitely played into it I think it was the first time that we saw Sam Donald really drop his eyes and, and be affected by the rush rather than being able to look past them and you know kind of make teams pay when they blitz which is what he was so good at last season yeah stock down I also got play calling inside the five uh, yeah you I know I, the the fade to Josh follow is a play call I just do not understand at all yes that is a big pet peeve for me I mean it for one, they don't really they haven't run the fade, I don't think, at all inside the in the red zone at all this season. Maybe once. Uh, but to throw it to Josh Follow for his first career target and then there was confusion on it. Uh, you know, you were talking to Tyson and he said yeah. what about So Tyson said that uh Follow knew that he was gonna throw a fade, but when Sam came off the field, he said that he saw Follow turn in his eyes. And so Sam interpreted that as I'm ready for the, for the ball right now. And so Sam just darted the ball in there, and obviously follow. That's his first like reception attempt, right? Is what you said. First target. Yeah. yeah, first target is not expecting that, and so obviously you see what happens. So Sam is more instinctive versus you have these young players who aren't really yeah just not on the ready same page. For that. Yeah, and, and that's part of having young receivers, and that's part of which is why I don't really understand throwing it at that first one because a lot of times with with a fade route, there's two options to the fade. You throw it you throw it high and wide. Or you throw it to the back shoulder. You kind of try to read the DB and determine, you know, if the DB's on top, then you throw it back shoulder and try to, you know, catch it before the DB can get there. This one, Sam tried to throw it back shoulder. 
follow, try to go up top. Uh, the DB actually had the best play on it, best he opportunity on it. After the holding call that wasn't called as well. I mean, very good, very good photos. Uh, I think it was it was an Associated Press photo that just with a straight, with the jersey is out a good five or six inches from the body. Yeah, which transitions into my stock town of Pac-12 reps. Womp, womp, womp. There was so much holding in this game. I don't, I fell asleep watching the rewatch, but from my angle on the field, I could just see so much holding. Christian Rector was held pretty much all game. Um, like you mentioned, the Jack Jones hold. Um, uh, the, the touchdown pass, uh, Washington State's first touchdown pass, you know, it was a great play call. They caught USC in a blitz, and Marvell Tell a little over-pursued on a play action. So they run a wide receiver screen. It's basically Jack Jones against two guys. Jack Jones is probably not going to win that because one of the guys is an offensive lineman. Yeah. But then the offensive lineman just completely snags him by the jersey and as he's trying to pull away. Probably should have been a holding call. You know, I don't know that it would have mattered You know, if he didn't hold him on that play. I think he still would have been able to run into the end zone without you know, a big thing. But, it, you know, that changes that whole complexion of that drive, for one. Yeah. Um, you know, if that's a 10-yard penalty, all of a sudden you go from, you know, having a touchdown to uh, I think it was a – let's see. It was a third and 10. So that goes to a third and 20. Yeah. So that's a huge change. Yeah. Not to mention the – OPI on Tyler Vaughn's, which... They don't ever call offensive pass interference, and then you call it on a play where he whiffs on trying to push off? He didn't even get it. Yeah. And then... Tyler Vaughn should be in stock down for for whiffing on the the offensive pass interference. Like, he should have at least got the push off. And then the targeting call. If you... I tweeted out, from my vantage point, I put it in slow motion, there is clear helmet-to-helmet contact with Deontay. Deontay just gets crushed. I honestly don't know how he kept playing after that, because he looked just days when he first came up during the game when i watched it when we're watching uh we're watching at my apartment watching on tv i, I missed the party yeah, you missed the party we had chick-fil-a we had wow. trader joe's you know it was great to our sponsor uh we also had some stromboli you know mm. it was a delicious time everything yep uh so during the play i saw it and i was like why are they throwing a flag on that then they show the replay where the safety actually dips down and projects his helmet towards deontay and i'm like that's clearly a target and good call by them and then they pick it up. I, I was baffled. I was baffled, too. Uh, I don't understand it. You know, there's always going to be holding calls that are called and aren't called. You The old saying, you call holding on every play. Probably could if you really wanted to. Yeah. Uh, but some of them were pretty egregious, like the Jack Jones one that weren't called. The Josh Follow could have been called. And then that, the, the offensive PI and the targeting, those two calls were just terrible. They're just bad calls. Yeah. I don't understand it. Class is riff. <laughs> Where is he? I don't know. He, he was really excited about the game. I'm sure he was. Uh, who else you got for stock down? Ooh, stock down. I've got I've got in season alarm clocks because I haven't been woken up by an alarm clock in like three weeks. So is this stock down for you? Yeah, it is. No, it's for my alarm clock because it does do, doesn't work. I was supposed to get up earlier today. I was gonna rewatch some more of the, of the game, and instead I slept three more hours. And I was I was like, oh, good thing I woke up just in time to run down here for the. Facebook Live and podcast. Yeah, I woke up with my lights on and YouTube said I, I watched the whole game and that was definitely false. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also have T. Martin uh, on Stockdown, obviously because play calling, but I'm actually going to say Stockdown because I just don't like how defensive he's been lately. And I, I understand he's in hot water. He It's understandable to be defensive, but I just feel like if he would just give a little bit, just a little, yeah, there's some plays that we, wanna, we would want to take back. I feel like then... 
the rage and anger would kind of calm down a little bit, but because he's so defensive and said, uh, we put a good play, play call together, blah, blah, blah. And, like, maybe he did, and execution is definitely a part of it. Injuries are definitely a part of it. But if you could just give a little bit, I feel like that's a better strategy. Now, I understand Clay Hilton being defensive. you got to stick up for your guys and be the head coach. But T. Martin, I feel like you could be a little bit more, hey, yeah, some of those plays we could have done better. Or Yeah, I mean – he basically didn't take any of the blame. It's a, it's a dichotomy between Sam, you know, last week against Cal, I think it was, he said, you know, the, all the interceptions are my fault. Yeah. And there really aren't. There's been some yeah. tip passes. There's been some, you know, some receivers not catching the ball. Uh, and T. Martin, you know, kind of blamed it all on execution. And granted, there's a ton of execution errors. Yeah. Um, but you just kind of have to take that, and maybe that's a lesson for him to learn, especially if he is to potentially become a head coach, is that sometimes you got to fall on the sword and be, be the guy to take the blame. Uh, in that uh, in that potential opportunity right there, um, and you know he because of his short answers, he's not getting any friends with with some of the media members. Um, you know, I'm not going to name the person that said it, but someone was looking for the quote of him during from practice, and he said, "Oh, I think he sounds dumber if I quote him," which is kind of is really harsh to to go about it that way. But that's the the animosity he's created with some of the media members because of how quick he was to answer the questions after the game. Um, so I like it's all there's always a learning lesson, and I think he's definitely got to learn from that one that he's got to handle himself better after the post game. And you know maybe sometimes you take the blame even if you don't think it's necessarily your fault. Because like I understand being short after the game. I even gave him a softball. I was like, hey, how did the offensive line injuries? Did that affect your play calling? Something like that. And he just said, no excuses. And then, like, literally most of his answers were one or two words. And I understand that maybe after you're pissed after a game where you should have won. Um, but coming in on Tuesday and being more defensive and, and saying execution for the main reasons, I just – people are very – people, if they think you're wrong, they want to just hear you say – take a little bit of blame and they won't stop. So if he's trying to do that to take the pressure off himself, I don't think that will necessarily work. I think if you just give a little bit – I think if he wants the pressure to die down, that will kind of help. I thought he was much better on Tuesday uh, from listening and watching the interview uh, from after the game to talking to him on Tuesday. You know, he, he said it's reality that they lost the offensive lineman. He didn't want to make that as an excuse. But he also credited the offensive lineman that came in and, yeah. and the job that they did. A guy like Clayton Johnson, who he said, you know, Clayton Johnson didn't get a chance to even practice in pads uh, at left tackle last week because yeah. the injury to the, the – the uh, infection to yeah. Toa uh-huh. Lomondon happened after they'd gone through their padded practices for the week, and then Toa was in the hospital. So Clayton got a chance to do the walkthroughs and stuff at left tackle, but didn't get the actual reps at, at you know when they were in pads. So he was impressed with him. Austin Jackson, you know, besides the penalty he had, uh, the, he played pretty well. So he he gave a lot of uh, credit to those guys for stepping in, um, you know, and. He said that they basically he said they got to be better. You know, he, yeah. he didn't put the blame on himself, but he did. You know, say the team had. You know, it was a team blame there. There's a lot of we's versus eyes, uh, but you know, he did accept the blame as, as an offense for some of the the things that have happened. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I got for stock down. All right, what about heard it on the sidelines? Heard it. I wasn't there on the sidelines, um, and so I'm just going to quiz you because <laughs> okay. you heard a lot of things on the sidelines. I did. I heard a lot. How was the crowd there? Just an overall intensity level, like compared to any of the other games, how was the crowd just, regardless of what they said, just the noise and everything else? See, that's the weird thing. I think, like, Utah is more hostile. I think they're more, like, in unison and very, like, loud. I don't know if they were necessarily that loud. They were just... So Utah's more intense. Yes, I will say that. Washington State was more hostile, though. ASU was louder, too. 
Like, I don't, like... Well, it's probably part of the fact that, yeah, you know, they had the smallest stadium, stadium in yeah. the Pac-12. Uh, you know, they did pack the place in. It looked like it, the place was kind of rocking in it there. It was very loud at times. So... But you... They were the most hostile crowd. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I feel... I don't know how far I want to get into this because Eastern Washington has just stopped being mad at me. <laughs> um, yeah. No. It was... I have been to a lot of away games. I know what football talk is like. I know what fans are like. But these were pretty much the craziest fans I've heard. I mean, there were a lot of MFers and stuff. There was a lot of profanity. In your highlight video. Yeah, just check out the second half of my highlight video. That was what made it into the game, into the highlights. Not even, like, everything that I heard. It was the worst part for me, and we kind of mentioned this already, was just being backed up against the student section for two for half of the game, you know, and, and these are drunk fans. These are fans that are on a Friday night throwing things at me. They're they're yeah. What'd you get thrown at you? I got a water bottle and a popcorn bucket thrown at me. So was there any popcorn still available? No, thank goodness. Oh, I didn't want to pick it out of my hair, but yeah. So and then like, I mean, I thought their signs were creative. Here's the thing. I think Mike Leach is hilarious. Like, some people don't understand him. I think he's hilarious. I get it. Like, I was... Go through my tweet records. He's my favorite part of Pac-12 media days. Like, I have nothing against Wazoo, but, like, when you start being super profane and, like, throwing things at me, and then kind of... I heard some racial slurs a little bit, which I'm just... I have no tolerance for. So, it's just... That was, to me, was the tipping point of, like, come on. Like, yeah, it's a game, but... So did they go too far? Yes, they went too far. <laughs> and then the rushing the field, I mean, you said you were concerned. I mean, you had to leave your equipment out there because you couldn't really get back. I mean, there was some, no way. some of the other reporters didn't make it to the press conference. Yeah. None we- of the beat report, none of the newspapers made it to the press conference. And then I, so like I said, I was up against the, the student section. They started jumping over and just landing where I was. And so I immediately, right as I was like, oh, shoot, they're going to storm. I immediately ran into the tunnel and like ran to the police officers because I was like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not because I okay. Here's the thing, you tw- so I tweeted like people thought I was overreacting, but I was actually talking about my whole experience of rushing the field because I was there for USC Stanford when USC rushed the field. This is not like a Wazoo thing. This is a me in general about rushing the field. I saw people get trampled. I saw a guy like lose. Like, his, like, breathing circulate What's that called? Hyperventilating? I don't know what it's called. And, like, Buck Allen literally had to tackle people to give him space. Like, so I... That whole... I had, like, a... I've had very, like, bad experiences in rushing the field, so I don't know if I'm very skewed, but that was my whole... Why I tweeted that they're not fun. I, I was, like, at practice this week when we were talking about this, I was, like, I... I don't think I've ever been on the sidelines or anything for... And then I thought about it. I've been on the sidelines, like, three or four or five times for... For rushing the field. I mean, Washington against Pete Carroll, uh, when Nate Robinson and Spencer Hawes, former Washington basketball players that were in the NBA at the time, also rushed the field. I was there for that. Uh, Stanford twice has rushed the field up there, even though once I think they were ranked higher than USC, which didn't really make any sense. So I'd been there for a couple, and like, I really like rushing the field. I love I love the the fans getting on it, but it seemed like it was because of the way the stadium is designed too. The fact that there were just people jumping over and without regard for people underneath them. Well, I saw I saw a dude like basically break his ankle, and he like hobbled over to the policemen, and policemen were like, "Yeah, no, we're not gonna deal with you. Sit down." Wow. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was it was pretty it was it was madness, but and that's their second time rushing the field. That's yeah, what... this this year. Which I see. That's the thing. I like. I don't care if you have fun. Have fun. That's fine. But when people start getting hurt, that's when I'm kind of like. Eh. And I was a little freaked out, so I know that I like was a little emotional when I tweeted that. So like, I understand I probably shouldn't tweet that. But like, I don't know. 
It just freaked me out. I wasn't a fan. <laughs> don't get trampled. Don't get landed on. That's a rule of, a, of, I of being on the sideline. I ran. Good I job. looked like Rojo. Run to the tunnel. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. Um, yeah. Well, what else happened? Uh, something else I've been heard on. Oh, just the players were so emotional. You know, you hate seeing that. Um, I didn't want to tweet it because I don't like putting players on the spot and like not having context. But there's context. This Deontay Burnett was just bawling his eyes out, and I felt so bad because that he was hurt, and you could tell there were trainers like talking to him, like, "Are you sure you want to go back in?" Like stuff like that, and he just looked determined, like, "Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play." And during just, the game, during yeah, the game is yes, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. When he's coming out the field, but during okay. the game, sorry, I wasn't clear. During the game, he looked very down and hurt, but like he was being Superman and playing through it. And obviously, they needed him because he was the only starting wide receiver at the time, or a <laughs> receiver that USC trusted or Darnold trusted at the time. So to see a guy who basically left it all on the field come off just bawling and so much emotion was just sad to see. You know, you hate seeing people put it all on the field and then not seeing any return for it. I mean, I love seeing the emotion. It's it's one of the best things about March Madness and everything. Yeah, I just feel for people. But also, I, I have wa- empathy I wonder, shotgun. <laughs> I wonder with Deontay Burnett how much it was he was committed to Washington State. Mm. If that played into it, you know, the potential that he could have been in that air raid offense, he could have been having 7 million catches a, a year. Um, 7 million? Close. Okay. Maybe six and a half, something like that. With <laughs> okay. Mike Leach, anything's possible. Anything's possible. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's all I got for her on the sidelines since I was not there. So it was really interesting to hear your take and you know kind of see the Washington State fans get go crazy about uh, your and Dan's instant analysis video. And now there's the. Can I also explain that a little bit? So go for it. that at the time it was one thirty in the morning when we filmed it. Um, sometimes I didn't fully hear what Dan said, and granted, I'm also desensitized to what Dan says sometimes. So <laughs> at, at, in the moment, it didn't sound as bad to me, and then. I was editing that video in the car on the way back to Spokane. I posted it from my hotel room at like 3.30 in the morning. I didn't fully look at it. I just like skipped over it to make sure it was playing and then posted it. So the first time that I fully heard Dan again was when the internet caught a hold of it and did it. And I was like, shoot, I should not have put that in there. So a do-over, I would have redone that and not put it in there and been more careful. So always a learning lesson, but you know. Well, if you want to censor stuff, I let stuff go. I'm good with it. Okay. Let's move on to keep it. Keep it. What do you got? Um, I've only got one because you already stole my experimentation with substitution and my Mike Leach versus Clancy Pendergast. So, um, I have the screens and the slants to Tyler Vaughn's and Deontay Burnett. I thought that they were very successful in the game, and then they kind of just went away from it. Quick passing. Yeah. What we saw early, and then Washington State apparently made some adjustments, and USC didn't adjust back because why? Because they can't hit the deep ball. I know. That yeah, that's it's in my change it. I was gonna put it in there. Yeah, I was gonna put that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it was funny because when I was doing the highlights, pretty much the only successful offensive plays looked like that, except for like Darnold scrambling and then two Rojo runs. <laughs> so it was like that's kind of bad when nothing else is working, nothing over the middle, nothing like that. So yeah, I think Washington State kind of took away the middle on purpose, and you know because Sam loves to throw over the middle. Yeah, so they took that away, which is part of the reason why you didn't see any. Uh, tight ends or running backs catch the ball first time since 1982. They tried to throw the tight ends a couple times. They tried to they designed a couple routes for Stephen Carr. They were, the safety was over the top of him. He they got the one on one matchup with the linebacker. Uh, actually, one of the throws to Tyler Petit. The reason why he threw it to Tyler Petit is because the safety instead of going over the top of Tyler Petit went over the top of Stephen Carr because Carr had already beat the linebacker. Uh, they've got to figure out ways to. You know, counteract that by getting a receiver to take away that safety somehow and then getting Stephen Carr on that one-on-one matchup where 
obviously they have an advantage because he's so good out of the backfield. Uh, so USC's going to have to design some things up uh, potentially to get Stephen Carr the ball over the middle or, or Rojo. I was going to say <laughs> sorry <laughs> when Stephen Carr returns from the foot injury, which looks like he may be out for a couple weeks. Uh, I, keep it. I got the pass rush success. You yeah. know, I, you know, getting five sacks and you know, Wosu's incredible interception. Uh, that was but, unreal. But I also I don't know if you have anything else for keep it, but I'm gonna I do. go quick to change it with hey. pass rush consistency. I just want to book in those. Okay, okay. Because the pass rush when it got there was really good. You know, they caused some stuff. But then when they didn't get there, it's like it seemed like Luke Falk was just playing in a vacuum, and yeah. there was nobody around him. You could check options one, two, three, four, five. Let's go back to two. Let's go back to one. Okay, I'll throw it to this guy. That's what it seemed like on some of the throws. Part of that maybe is the substitution. Part of it is you know guys getting tired. Part of it just you're not going to get there every pass rush. Um, but I thought the pass rush was good when they were successful. But I also thought that there was they need to change the consistency and get some more pressure consistently. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for keep it, I had Darnold scrambling. I thought he used his legs more in the first quarter, and sometimes uh, he also scored that touchdown later in the game. Two uh, touchdowns. I know two touchdowns with his leg. Uh, so I thought that was really good. I think that they need more of that. I don't know how much they let him. I like it down in the goal line. I you know like it inside the five yard line, like they used it. Uh, you know I think that's a perfect example. If you have a fourth and one or fourth and three, and it's open, I think you take it then. I don't think you do it on first and ten or something. The read option. No, yeah. Now, especially that he's a little dinged up, I don't think so. But like you said, in short yard situations in the red zone. Yeah, I think you. I, I don't think you want to run him a lot. I think Clay Helton said that, but in specific situations, I think that's good. Anything else for keep it? I have Tyler Vaughn's three exclamation points. <laughs> that's when I made my notes. <laughs> I'm floating Ryan. Tyler Vaughn's go with him. T said he will. I don't know if he will stick to it, but he should. Yeah, he was good. All right, <laughs> change it. What do we got? Um, we did not see Vi Malapai or Arca Cedric Ware in this game, especially when Stephen Carr went down in the fourth quarter, you only saw Rojo. And I understand the run wasn't really working, so just stick with Rojo. First time this season that a running back's played every snap of a quarter. But why not try something? Why not have... Uh, or even Valus Jones. Valus Jones is lined up at running back one. as yes. well. And all three of those guys did not play a single offensive snap well that's what i don't understand you asked if valus was available he was and they're not working the deep ball isn't working why not put your guy who is quote unquote the deep ball guy you know what i'm saying valus has a speed problem is they haven't connected on any of those they've tried to throw deep balls to with him. anyone else why not just try with him that's true maybe we'll see it this week they got someone has to be able to catch a deep ball to to open up the offense uh that's one of the things and change it you got the deep ball is definitely there uh the last thing i haven't changed it is going to center more you know, they did it a couple times. They hadn't really done it the last few weeks um, at all. So when they did do it this week and they you know, ran a quarterback sneak, even though it was first and ten, uh, when they thought it was third and one. And then also they, they were inside the ten they, on their own ten-yard line, and Darnold just basically rose up and threw it out to Tyler Vaughn because the cornerback was playing off. He picks up six yards real quick on first down. I thought that was really good. You know, that's something you can do uh, with a quickness uh, under center that maybe it, it takes an extra second for the ball to get there and all the other stuff. Um, if you're in the pistol or in the shotgun. Yeah. Um, I kind of touched on this in our Facebook Live, but I was saying the, and I kind of touched on this earlier, the inconsistency of playing freshman. Like, putting Josh Follow in a situation where he his first target is to set up a touchdown, but then you're reluctant to play Tyler Vaughn's earlier in the season. I just don't understand where why it's so inconsistent, and maybe it's a coaching position thing. Like, you see where... With uh, Stephen Carr, yes, thank you, Dylan McCullough. Stephen Stephen Carr, obviously second guy from the, from 
early on. Baxter with what he does with the tight ends, how now it's Crum and Hook. You know, it seems like that, but T is more reluctant. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We don't really know. It, it's interesting. When does talent overtake the experience? Um, when is that? How does that balance out? It seems like with the receiver, it's experience first. Um, and then, you know, the talent has to come because they're not on the same page with Sam Darnold. That's one of the reasons why the young guys didn't play early. Uh, that was definitely a reason, you know, they definitely struggled with that early in the season, um, in fall camp and stuff, being on the same page, running the right route, all that. And then, you know, when do those guys get incorporated? Uh, Clay Helton said after week four, you know, that's when you really know when the freshmen are going to, you know, by the fourth week, we should know about the freshmen. And now we're seeing some of those freshmen getting in there. You know, you saw the offense linemen. It's because of injuries for them, but the fact that they are getting in there. So I think you'll you'll see if, if there's any um, big changes in the next two games as far as starting and a, you know, a younger guy takes over, I think those are going to be the changes you see for the rest of the season. I think that's when the move is now. The move is now. Yeah, agreed. Also with all the injuries. I also said after the Yuchina uh, interception, you have to score there. You have to. You can't. You know, they scored field goal, but you had to put in seven points. I mean, I'm tempted to say, you know, change it. Uchenna, stay on your feet. I mean, that was an incredible interception, but the one against Cal is more the one you can't that, that his teammates were, for that. I know, that his teammates were giving him a little, a little crap for for not being able to get in uh, after the, the Josh Fatu calls the fumble interception float, float ball yeah. uh, that Uchenna picked out of the air. What a play by Eugene on that. He tipped it to himself. Tipped the ball off the offensive lineman's face mask, and then he dives and makes the catch. Uh, in the NFL, maybe he rolls over and gets in the end for the score. But in the, in the college, in you know, obviously, you get, once you touch the ground, you're down. We got time for a couple of questions? Yes. All right. I got, you know, I'm going to try to answer these quick just because we don't have a ton of time. Uh, this is from John from Brea. He said he really enjoys the Family Feud podcast. Thanks, John. Oh, thank you. We appreciate you listening. He's got a question about team chemistry. With our time on the sideline, can you compare this team, year's team and their chemistry with last year's team or teams from past years? This includes the way the players interact or don't interact with players on the sideline during games. Sam seems to always be standing off by himself watching. That's partly because the offense coordinator and the quarterback's coach are up in the booth, I think. Uh, coach Baxter's interview with Shotgun last week was extremely defensive. Something just doesn't seem right. Any thoughts? Thanks for all you do on the parastyle. Fight on. Okay, so I think that the chemistry is actually good. I don't, I don't think there's anything wonky there. I was actually, I meant to put this in, heard the sidelines. The team was very fired up in the beginning to start the Wazoo game, which was such a departure from what we saw with Cal, where they looked half asleep. You know, so they looked fired up. Everyone was, I mean, they looked ready to go, which was encouraging from the start. And then we saw what happened. But I mean, as far as chemistry, Tyler Vaughn's after the defense had a stop. Um, he went up to all of them and, and high-fived every single defensive player and was like, keep your heads up, you like keep playing. Like I know we're not doing much for you, but like keep it going. He didn't say that per se. I'm kind of putting some words in his mouth, but he was high-fiving them and encouraging them. So I think there's a lot of team chemistry. When you talk to these guys, they're like, they're my brothers. I mean, you talked to Austin Jackson. He was like, well, I'm not competing against him. We're both playing for the team, yeah. you know? So it's I don't think, especially in some of the past teams where you have that star you have like a Leonard Williams you have that guy who's going to be that draft pick guy and and Darnold could very well be the guy with the ego but like we saw during PRPs he like wheeled the water card out you know what I'm saying it's kind of a Clay Helton thing where no one really has an ego on this team when they could yeah there was much more divisiveness in some previous locker rooms yes. you know three or four or five years ago uh where it was 
partly with the stars, but also just people not getting playing time and they thought they were, should be getting playing time. I really haven't heard much of that this year. I heard a little bit last year. I thought the chemistry last year, there was some issues, um, maybe a little bit, but I don't think, you know, there's not, you know, anybody that's really outspoken. And, you know, Jack Jones is the most outspoken and everyone on the team seems to love him, yeah. uh, you know, from the interactions we've been able to see. So I don't think that's really an issue this year. See, the thing about Jack Jones is he's outspoken but still has a... He's outspoken on the field. Once he comes off the field, he's, like, very demure, actually. Yeah, and I, and I think that he's also become more ma- demure and mature this season as well. So, like, yeah, he talks a lot, but when you actually talk to him, he... Because he, I, I interviewed him, and I tried to press him, like, those interceptions, those turnovers, blah, 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 and he was like, it's my D-line. They're getting pressure, causing the quarterback he's to make like bad decisions. He's, really calm when he goes through interviews and stuff. Yeah. He's really thought... Uh, he really thinks his answer's through. You know, he'll give you some outlandish quotes about winning the Heisman or whatever, but that's just his goal. It, it seems like it's that's just part of who he is. He, he doesn't say it like, yeah, I'm winning. It doesn't, it doesn't come off as bravado necessarily to me. And he means that in, like, I'm going to strive from the highest possible thing, not like, oh, I'm going to be that defensive player who somehow gets the Heisman. It's not like that. It's just his weird way of being like, I'm going to strive for the best. And also we saw Jack Jones they were running some routes against the, the cornerbacks were running routes against each other and just beating guys past Maybe they should throw him in on offense once or twice. Maybe, maybe. But he has 25 without Rojo. It's okay. They could have thrown him in the cow game. Oh, I also had a stock down. Sorry, I'm just remembering this now. For Jalen Green, Jordan Isefa, also in hurt on the sidelines. I don't know how you do that. And part of it, I think... Pre-game was, warm-ups. It was a little bit of bravado because Wazoo came out. Their whole team came out shirtless, which wasn't the best look, if I am being honest. And, well, I'm going to get hate for that. No, and, and so... The USC players kind of went back in, and then some of them came out shirtless, like, ha-ha, we're going to be shirtless, too. We're tough guys, too. And part of that was Jalen Green and Jordan Iseva, and they were kind of fooling around a little bit. So I don't know how much of that. I didn't actually see the play, so some of this is speculation. But I don't know what they were doing to be able to hit themselves hard enough to cause a concussion. There was a collision, and they were both concussed. That's all I know. Okay, yeah. Couple quick ones. Question is simple: Is there any way when we get Port Augustine back, can we run a legit three-four and have both PG and Christian Rector on the field at the same time? Fight on from Nick and Cypress. I don't. Uh, you know, depends on the team they're playing. If a team is gonna, if they're gonna use our base defense, yes, I think they could go with a three-four and that uh, Christian Rector will be one of the guys in there. However, you know, their their base defense is really more of the the two-four-five or the four-two-five, whichever way you want to look at those outside linebackers. So I don't think they're really going to change that just because of how well Christian Rector's been playing. Maybe he gets more opportunities and they use him beside Rasheem Green and, you know, against teams that are going to throw the ball more. Or maybe they use him in a different way um, or even rotating in with Port Augustine. But I don't think you're going to see a straight 3-4 change there. We also don't know anything about Port Augustine's status. We haven't seen him since Texas. Um, when he comes back, we don't know if he'll be 100%, how much he can play. I think... There's a lot of factors that determine Porter Augustine. I do know that his fingers are okay for liking photos on Instagram. <laughs> he liked my photo of Will Ferrell last night. So, Interesting. Uh, question real quick. Should USC fire Tony Bland now in order to protect itself when punishments come down and look as though it did uh, the most it could, the earliest they could? This one is very tough. Uh, Tony Bland actually hired a, a New York lawyer earlier or you know, was found out that that's who his lawyer is, uh, who's – you know, has represented guys such as John Gotti and, and El Chapo. So this guy is not, you know, any mincemeat there. He's got a very good lawyer. You lawyer up and get the best lawyer you can. And he's going to fight this case as much as he can. Should USC proactively fire him? 
they have the Louis the Louis Free uh, investigation going on right now. If they come across stuff there, then I think you could potentially do that. But I don't think you're going to do anything before you get that investigation out. Yep, I have a question for you. Is that allowed? All right, we got eight minutes. Very quick. Uh, with your char- charting, what should USC's offense be using the most? They use a lot of pistols. They use like they haven't been going under center. What do you think? What has been the most successful, and what do you think they should be using? I mean, what they use the most is their three receiver, one tight end, one running back sets. Um, they move the receivers in different ways. They bunch them and put two on one side, two on the other side. Sometimes they'll split out the tight end. You know, the the two tight end stuff actually didn't work very well this week, uh, but they've used some different stuff like four wide receivers didn't use any of that this week. It seemed like they kind of uh, brought the made the offense a little bit more bland, and possibly that's because of the offensive line. They didn't run as many four receiver sets. They didn't run any four receiver sets, excuse me. Uh, they only split the tight end out, you know, uh, about 10 times. Sometimes they do that 15 times in a game, 20 times. Uh, so they did some things to keep an extra guy in there for, to protect. Uh, maybe they could have done some more two tight end stuff and left an extra blocker in there. Maybe they could use the fullback just as a blocker. Uh, you know, the people that are asking for the fullback dive on the goal line, that ain't happening. Uh, the fullback, you know, spread out the fullback into the flat, play action flat to the fullback on NCAA, that ain't happening either. Because we, we've seen in the past five years when they threw the fullback how many times it did not work. The Washington State game uh, with Lane Kiffin that they lost. I think I think in that game, if I remember correctly, a fullback didn't catch a potential touchdown pass. So, you know, they're going to use their normal stuff, which is three wide receivers, um, you know, can they get more creative with it? Sure. Um, you know, have they done some different things? Yes, they have. Uh, so I've got like several different indication indications on what the uh, formation is, whether it be three receivers, two two backs, and no tight end. Uh, if there's a receiver in motion, if there's you know if they motion out the running back, and it's a lot more than I've had in the past. So I think they've been more creative in that regard, uh, and maybe that maybe that's part of the issue. Maybe they're not running. Uh, their base plays well enough to succeed with them. Uh, so that's kind of the question. But they are doing some creative stuff. I know everybody wants to say, oh, they're doing the same thing. Oh, no, they've done some different things. They tried some different things with the offensive line. You know, they did the rollouts. They did some, you know, they, they made some adjustments in-game because of the injuries. So it wasn't like they were completely just running the same thing they had planned to run coming into the game. So in that sense, people were really hating on the play calling. How much of it was play calling versus execution versus injuries? In your opinion, I mean, there's, it's all all three. You know, the the in the side of the five yard line, I think you got to be better. Uh, you know, if it if twice they ran it with Sam Darnold and he walked in both times, why didn't you do it a third time? Was it not there? Was, was the look not there? Uh, they didn't get the blocks. The, you know, T. Martin said, "Hey, we ran it for five point six yards per per run." You know, we're at the two-yard line. We just, you know, we expect that we should be able to get in when we run it twice there, once with Ronald Jones, once with Stephen Carr. You know, if you get the blocks, the guy gets in. So then nobody talks about the play gone. You can call the simplest play there is. You can call a quarterback sneak. If you get four yards on it every single time, you can go down the field. Nobody's going to like, oh, that created, that play call is not creative. Well, we got four yards, and we got a first down and a third down every single time we score a touchdown. It doesn't matter what the play call is when it succeeds. It matters when it doesn't succeed. Uh, and the blocking was not there on those two runs in particular. Uh, Hercules Matafa, you know, kind of blew them up. I would have liked to have seen more straightforward running uh, with some of those younger linemen and trying to block, maybe blocking down on some of those guys and doing that rather than some of the pulls that they did with some of the younger guys in that. Is there any concern about player development in the sense that, like we mentioned, we have 
Austin, you have Austin Jackson just being thrown in there when he could have kind of gotten reps. I know it's harder for an offensive lineman versus like uh, wide receivers too. Like I, I know UST about there could have been times where you could put them in. How much are you concerned about? Like, I asked him. You know, you know, he said they have it. They got to get in the game to develop. And I said, do you feel like you should have got him in? You know, earlier. He's like, well, when? Like we had a close game against Western Michigan, a close game against Stanford. Like he's like Stanford's not the time you throw the guy in. Maybe it is. Maybe when you're up in the fourth quarter and you ran every single play basically in the fourth quarter, and Jalen Green was in on every snap. Why can't you throw Josh Motorbaby in there for two of those plays? I think there were 20 plays in the fourth quarter. Why can't two of those be Josh Motorbaby? Well, it begs the question. So. You can't do it against Stanford, but somehow it's better than throwing some guy in there when you're not expecting it to. I know he can't predict that at the time, but and, you know what I'm saying? And there's a balance. There, obviously, there's always God. a balance uh, of, of can we get guys in early? I mean, if they, they take advantage of the turnovers against Western Michigan or Texas or, uh, you know, in the Cal game, then they, they have a fourth quarter where they can throw guys in. Uh, but they didn't do that. Uh, so... The starters are not helping out the backups, and then the backups get thrown in to become the starters. They then have to help themselves out. So it, it's a you know it's a, a big circle where one person's not doing their job, so it affects the next person and it affects right back to the the starter. Uh, it's whoop. yeah, it's a whoop. Uh, they have to do better though. They have to you know, once you get the guys in there, they have to play and perform. And you know some of those guys did, some of them didn't. Last question for you. It's kind of a combination of two questions, if you will. So I talked to T, uh, Tyson, I always mess up, Tyson Helton about play calling. And so T and Tyson kind of have their own little concoction of what they do. And Tyson said that he's always a play ahead of the game and of T. And uh, he usually gets, and it's whenever T looks at him for the, for the play. So I was like, so when does T look at you? And he's like, mostly third downs. Sometimes other plays, you know, we have a good chemistry. Whenever T looks at me, that's when I'll have a play ready for him. And then here's my other. So how does that really, We it kind of looks grab, grab baggy at times, the offense. How much does that contribute to it? Second question, offense related. I brought this up last week. Clay Helton said that identity is balance. And I was like, is that really an identity? How much does not having a, like a straight up identity also contribute to this? <laughs> Whew, that's a complex question there. Sorry. Uh, ideally, if you're playing calls, and I said this on Facebook Live, if you're playing calls, you have a right-hand man where he is, ideally, Tyson Helton is looking at it by the way they describe it. This is the ideal. Tyson Helton's looking, this is what play I would call every time, every play. He's like, oh, I'd call this right here. You know, he's thinking that in his head. This is what I call, this would be good. And then if T goes, hey, what do you think? Oh, this is the one I call right here, and he already has it pulled up. You know, he's already got it. You know, identified on the play sheet, um, and then T has the option, like, yeah, that sounds good, or no, nah, let's let's try to go with this instead. I don't want to do whatever. So that's ideal. Is that the way it's working? I don't. I don't know. We, you can't really like. I mean, we we need to put some wiretaps. Uh, where's the FBI to help us out <laughs> oh to answer God. these questions? Uh, wiretap in the in the press box to determine what exactly is going on there. Uh, but, you know, if he's looking over and, and calling it, does there become dissension? If he doesn't take the, the play call, does there become a rift in between them? It, it, there could be a lot of things. And is is there ever a Clay Helton overruling either both of them or one of them and saying, no, let's go with this, because they're all talking on the headset at the same time. So uh, 
unless you can get inside that headset, it's hard to really tell what's going on there. Be a fly on the wall? Yeah. That'd be fun. Be a fly on the wall. Well, you know, if it was the, the Justin Wilcox game where you could hear it yelling <laughs> through the, the walls, yeah. that, you could be a fly on the wall there. Uh, with the identity, I, I think that they want to run the ball first, but they know they got Sam Darnold, so they're torn there. I think that's the problem. Is that what we're seeing, that indecisiveness? Like, hmm. Possibly. Didn't it seem like after the Stanford game, and granted, I know that this is like an offensive line issue as well. Didn't it seem like okay, they're run first and then gonna throw? And it works so well against Stanford. Why has that not been the case? And I don't think they blocked really great against yeah. Texas. Uh, I think that was the big issue. Yeah. And I think maybe maybe part of it is Texas kind of uh, showed some flaws that if you can quickly slant against them, then they'll have trouble. Uh, now we'll see if that's the same case for this new offensive line because you basically have a new offensive line right now. Pretty much, which is crazy. Uh, so maybe that was part of it. Maybe that's why the running game hasn't been as been as good the last three weeks is because you know Texas showed a flaw and USC has yet to correct that. Uh, you know, so we'll see going in. I mean, this should dominate against Oregon State. They have better <laughs> we haven't players. We not even mentioned Oregon State. <laughs> they have better players. They should dominate. Um, so we'll see if that happens. If this game's close, that's when you're gonna see the pitchforks out. Ooh, pitchforks and torches. Man, the P will be pretty crazy if that's yeah. the case. It'll be fun. <laughs> Madness is fun. Okay, <laughs> that wraps it up. Thank you guys for sending in questions. Thank you for listening. Um, we will see you next week, right, Shotgun? Yeah, you can hit us up on Twitter if you have any other questions. Just mm-hmm. just label that it's for the podcast, or you can email hashtag in- feudpod feuders. Ooh, what if our listeners are feuders? Oh, man, we gotta get we got to get them a specific hashtag. Hashtag I don't know. feuders. I like it. If you're <laughs> listening this far, you can tweet me feuders. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.